So when I was a kid, we went to Kings Island Amusement Park outside Cincinnati. Now, I was really excited to go, and we went with my aunt and uncle, and they were like just married, right out of college, so they were young to us, at least they seemed relatively young, and so we were all about having a great time, and we got there, and it was super hot, it was the middle of July, and so we went to the water park, and I love water, so it was fun, until there was this big slide, and this big slide had tubes that you went on, and like you'd go with like five or six people. Now, I would have been seven years old at the time, and my brother would have been four. So I want you to keep that in mind, because honestly, I was scared to death and would not go on that. And I finally said, as they're trying to get me to go on it, would everybody just get off my back? And my brother, who's four, is like, but it's not scary, Aaron. You can go. It's fine. I was afraid. See, fear is one of these weird things that it messes with us, and it holds us captive in lots of ways. And during this last season of life, for many of us, it has been a weird time. This pandemic has brought about all kinds of things, and some of us have talked about lots of things. And there's a phrase I've heard again and again, but honestly, it's a phrase that's been used mostly in the wrong context, uh, and not really the right one. And it's this phrase, you should just have faith over fear. Now, I like the idea of faith over fear, but one of the things that we find again and again is that people will use it in these kinds of ways. They'll say, well, you know, if you don't do X, then you're just afraid. Don't you know God makes it so you don't have to live with fear? Um, But the problem is usually whatever X is, it's not something God has commanded. It's just something that someone likes or something that someone thinks is good or whatever the case might be. And so usually it's not even operating from fear. And so if we're going to use fear in that way, what might be really cool is if I had heard these kinds of phrases. And I didn't hear these, but these would have been good. Um, Have you shared your faith with someone lately? You know, God's present with you, so you can do that. You don't have to be afraid of the outcome. He's working with you. Or maybe even this, if you said something like, have you fully given your family and your future and your finances to God? Have you... Have you had the faith that you can trust all those things to him? Right? Because you know if you do that, that's what it looks like to live in faith. But I don't usually hear those kind of things. I hear things kind of like this. Have faith you won't get sick. Um, I don't know about you, but if you've paid much attention, I know a lot of people who've had lots of faith and they still get sick and they still die. That's not how that works. Or I've heard this. Have faith that God will get you that new car that you really want. Well, um... Maybe if you're a good steward and it's the right purchase at the right time and you're stewarding your resources well, that God might help in that. But the idea that God just wants you to have stuff, yeah, not really really true. So what we find is we use faith over fear in weird kind of ways. But one of the things that I find is that when we look through the Old Testament, we see pictures of faith and pictures of fear. And sometimes kind of an equal measure. And so Abraham is listed as one of these people in the Old Testament that is like just a pillar of faith. But his life is full of faith and fear. And so one of the things that matters for us is we begin to see that there's a difference in how we understand this because I would go so far to say this. Maybe it's not just faith over fear, but it's moving from faith to trust. In fact, I'd say it this way. Faith is a belief system. Trust is an action. So I love the way one one scholar wrote this. They said, faith is believing that God is who God says he is And that what God can do, only God can do. But trust takes things a step further. It is making the willful choice to trust that God will do what he promises. The head versus the heart. In other words, trust is faith 
in action. And that begins to do something different for us, right? Um, if there are a bunch of us sitting in this room and I said, I have faith that you all would try to catch me if I jumped, and yet um, I wouldn't do it, then I, didn't, I believed it was true, but I didn't trust it enough to live it out. And so that's the difference between faith and trust. And what we find is that even though Abraham was a great man of faith, he was also a great man of fear. And sometimes in equal measure. But as we kind of we'll see today, as we walk through his life, we see eventually he goes from faith and fear in equal measure to just trust. And so he put his faith in action in a really pivotal kind of way. And we'll get to that. But as we kind of continue this summer to walk through the Old Testament, it's a series based on choices. What is our choice? Are we going to choose to walk in faith? Or I would even rather use the word trust. Or are we going to walk in fear? Trust and fear. It doesn't mean we don't use our brains. It's, it's mean we're willing to trust God in the midst of the world in which we live and what's going on. And so what we begin to see throughout this, this journey is that what began last week in Genesis chapter 1, this idea that God wants to separate a people. He wants to fill them and make them a blessing to the world. That theme continues on with Abraham. And we know him as Abram early. And for the sake of just clarity today, I'll call him Abraham for the whole message together. Um, he'll just be Abraham. But Abraham's life, we'll see, as we kind of walk through several passages of the Old Testament, we'll see the way in which God uses Abraham, the way God is transformed, or the way Abraham is transformed by God. And we'll also see the way that when our faith grows to the point of trust, God uses us in incredible ways beyond what we ever could have imagined. And so we'll begin this in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this begins with a simple phrase. Go. Go. How many of us, if we're really honest, if we sense God's calling, we'd go, oh, you're calling me? No problem. But, but can you imagine? Think about it. You have to leave everything you know, everyone you know, every place that you know. You're leaving with your nephew Lot and your wife Sarah. That's it. Just the three of you. You're taking off. You're going to leave what you've known as well. And maybe you're like me. You're like, well, I mean, he was kind of like a nomad wanderer, so it wasn't that big of a deal. Isn't it, though? If God really asked you to go and leave everything that you know, are you willing to do that? And so we see Abraham has faith that God is who he says he is, and he puts his faith in action. He trusts, and he leaves. But he leaves with this promise. I will make you great, and you will be a great nation, and you will be a blessing to the world. Remember that tie-in from Genesis 1? Separation, filling, blessing to the world. And Abraham takes off. But we see this kind of beautiful scene. Abraham models his faith and trust. But we see quickly, just a few verses later, how fear comes in. And here's the story picking up from verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, 
And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram required sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Now maybe this story is as simple as Abram thought it was a quick way to get rich, and so what if he had to sacrifice his wife a little bit? Or maybe it's this reality that Abraham was faithful until he was fearful. And when that fear crept in, it just trumped everything else, and he found himself crippled by fear, and so he's more worried about saving his life than honoring his wife. And so maybe Abram even had faith that God was who he said he would be. But when the moment came, he didn't have enough trust to believe that God was who he said he was. And it doesn't stop there. And if that was the end of the story, it's kind of this bummer of a story, but what we begin to see is Abram's faith does grow over time. And over time, we see glimpses where he kind of gets it right, and that's one of these from chapter 13. Here's this conversation between Abraham and Lot. Their, their flocks are getting too big. They're taking up too much space. They're too large. They've got to divide. There's quarreling among them. And here's the scene we look into. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine. We are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Abram here modeled incredible generosity. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one who's the elder of, the, of this group of people. And he says, I'll let you pick where you want to go. And so, of course, Lot picks the land that looks more fertile. And so Abram models incredible generosity to his nephew. And he says, fine, you can have it. But what he also models for us is deep trust that God can provide. And that what God has provided is sufficient for his life. In fact, he not only thinks it's sufficient for his life here, but if I were to read to you the end of chapter 14, the king of Sodom tries to offer, offer gifts to Abram, and he says, no, I, I'm going to trust that God will provide for me, and I don't want you to have the ability to speak into my life and say that you provided for me. But in the middle of all of this trust of Abraham that we see, he still has some concern about his future. Remember this promise God made him that you would be fruitful and multiply, that you would be a blessing to the world, that you would be a father of many nations? He's not the father of anything. And so we see this conversation between Abram and God. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky, count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Again, 
We see Abram trust the promise of God, that God will provide, that he will be a father, that he will have kids, that this is something that he has promised him he would do, even though it doesn't look like it. The other thing we pick up from this passage is pretty cool, is we see that God invites us into conversation to even disagree with him. We're welcome to wrestle and question and ask and be like, God, are you sure about this? Are you really doing this? Are you actually going to do what you said you would do? Can I really put my trust in you or not? And so what we see is it's okay to question God, but God wants us to learn in our questioning to come to the place of not only faith, but trust. And see, what we find is that even when, even when God answers Abram's prayer and in conversation, how quickly Abram forgets. Jumping to the next passage of scripture here, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong. I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. And Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. I don't have a lot to say about this text, except... Abram and Sarai were jerks. There's really no other way to describe this, right? Hagar did nothing wrong. She did what she was commanded to do by her master in this situation. And she got pregnant. And Abram like, well, okay, sorry, honey. I didn't, you know, I did what you asked me. But since you're upset, you just do what you want. And so Sarai mistreats her. It's also a picture for us about how often when God invites us to a particular way of life, we think if we just try to fix it and control it, we'll make things right. And usually when we do that, the results are not good. And so what we find, though, is that we also see in this picture is even when we go the wrong direction, God never quits pursuing us. God continues to come to us and invite us to know him in a unique way. And it's what we see in this next text from Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. God continues to give Abraham another chance. And that's good news for you and I, that even when our fear creeps in, he gives us opportunity to choose to trust in him with our future. And we also see God does what only God can do, because I don't know about you, but I don't know how many 99-year-old people having kids. Thank God. Some of you in this room right now are thinking, it's so good that I can't have a kid at my age, right? I'm, 
I'm not even 40 yet, and I think the idea of having another baby just makes me tired. So I can't imagine if you doubled my age and you're that old, people that old don't have kids. It's a crazy story. Only God could do this. And then we see, as we kind of move on through Abraham's life, this thing that happens in chapters 18 and 19. It's this, God seeing what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, and sin has run rampant, and evil exists. And God goes, oh, these people don't get it. I'm just going to end this place. And Abraham, because he knows the goodness of God, goes to God and says, hey, God, I, I don't know if you know this, but what if there's just a few righteous people there? And they have this kind of back and forth about trying to decide what the correct number of righteous people needs to be. The problem is there aren't any. As God eventually agrees that Lot and his family can be let go, and God, God's pleaded to by Abraham. He goes there and he pleads and he pleads. What we see through this um, is God, God knows that Abraham has faith in him, and he trusts him with others. But so often, Abram doesn't trust himself to God. We see that story happen with Abraham again and again and again. Even though he approaches God with confidence, it doesn't always work that way that he'll trust him with his own life. Have you found that to be true, that you'll trust God for the sake of others? You'll, you'll pray for them, you'll trust them to God, but when it comes to your own life, you're not sure you're worthy or God loves you enough? That's kind of what we see in Abraham's life. And then it goes on, and we see this kind of weird thing happen again in chapter 20. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, I've got several thoughts again. This is the second time that Abraham has done this. So if I'm his wife, I'm pretty ticked off at this point. My other thought is, isn't she really old now? What's wrong with this king? But that's a whole other conversation for another day. But here's what we begin to see. is Even though Abraham has these great moments of faith, he has these great moments of fear again. So what about his life? He doesn't trust that God's going to take care of him or that God's going to honor what he's promised. And then we're going to skip several chapters, but eventually Abraham has a son, and he names him Isaac. And then there's a scene in Genesis chapter 22 that honestly messes with us all. It's a scene in which God says to Abraham, will you just trust me with your son? In fact, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And if you're like, well, if I read the rest of the Old Testament, I know that God forbids the sacrifice of people, that God hates that, that he loves people that are created in his image. And so why in the world would he ask Abraham to trust his son to him? And so Abraham takes off on this journey with his son Isaac. And we see throughout the text, if you were to, to kind of look into the way it's actually written, you'd see that Abraham loves his son Isaac with his whole heart. And he can't understand how God would fulfill his promise, but he's come to a whole new place in his relationship with God where he trusts his future to God. And as they get there, Isaac says, well, where's, the, where's the, the animal for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. It's as if he knew, and as if God is saying to him, do you, uh, do you really trust me that much? I know you believe in me because I've done a lot in your life that you have faith that I'm real, but will you trust everything to me? Will you trust the most precious thing in your life to me? And Abraham does. And God goes, don't you dare lay a hand on that kid. I know that you trust me. And then we see kind of the end of really of, of the moments of Abraham's great faith. And that ends in that moment. But we see what Abraham models is trust is faith in action. And even though he would have never wanted to lose his son, his fear did not win out. 
because he knew and he trusted that God was who he said he was. What about you and I? Are we willing to trust that God is who he says he is? Are we willing to not only have faith that he exists or faith that we believe in him, are we willing to trust our whole life to him, to put our faith in action? Right? I, I was thinking about this. Uh, several years ago now, we were in Indianapolis staying all night um, there at a hotel, and we had a family thing going on, and, and my son would have been just over two years old, and so we had a, a, a baby little girl, and Gracie was little, and, and so we were at the pool at the hotel. And Isaac started to figure out that he could jump in and I would catch him. And so it became this game. And he would just run and jump. We started getting nervous because he jumped further and further from the hedge. But, but he would just run and he would jump and I'd catch him. The problem was he got so, he got to the place where he trusted me so much that even when I wasn't even looking, he jumped. Now the good news is he kind of caught me on the arm as he got and I'd swing back and grabbed him and he didn't go into the water. But but that's what God invites us to. He invites us to know him in such a way that we can just jump and trust that he's there. That he wants to catch us. And the cool thing about God is um, he doesn't turn his back. He continues to pursue us. He doesn't get distracted by other things. He loves us fully in this moment. And so what does this mean for you and I? We trust our lives to God. We put our faith and trust in him. Or... Will you and I allow the various fears of our life to control us? Those fears can be lots of things. They can be finances. They can be our family. They can be health-related. They can be professional. They can be all kinds of things. But what holds us captive? Is it our faith and trust in God or our fear about what could be? And so I want to end this message right where we started with this call that God has for Abraham, which I believe is a call for us, Go. Go. Right? If you're watching this online this morning, we're actually at a park. And the reason we're at a park is because I'm going to challenge people to look around at the world around them and see all that they see. And go, don't forget, we're called to go right where we are in the community in which we live. And so here's, here's what I'm going to challenge them on, on this coming Sunday, or it'll be this day when you watch this. The challenge is this. Hey, if you go out to a restaurant somewhere, tip with extreme generosity. If you see trash as you're walking through the park or your other places, pick it up. Hey, do something for the sake of the other because you trust in God. So cut your neighbor's grass. Become that great employee at work who helps others. Become that kind of person that if you even feel boldness to share your faith because God has called you to do so, you don't have to just have faith that God will work, but God is using you. You have trust. He wants to use you to even share your faith. And so what might happen if God's people began to live that way? What might happen if we begin to live that way? What might happen in our community if we recognize God doesn't call us to be a separated people or even a filled people, but he calls us to be a people, just like Abraham, to be a blessing to the world. And so may you and I put our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus and trust that God is who he says he is. Let's not be a people who are captivated by fear, but a people who are wrapped up in God's love and live that out in faith, which is which is active, active work, that we be a people who our trust is seen as faith in action. And so we'll catch you next time, we hope. The next Sunday we'll gather here in this space. But may you know this day that God loves you, that he's calling you to go, that he wants you to trust him and to not live in fear. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in these moments for those who are listening, who are engaged with the way you love us. And so it is our hope and our prayer that we become more and more the people of God. 
And so, Father, we trust all this to you. It's your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.